Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Beata Sanctum is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respect to their elders past and present. of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Groundbreakers, history makers. Welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another week. I am Rana Hussein, not Emma Race. We're resting MZ this week. She's having a very well-earned break. So I get to be in the driver's seat and look, anything could happen really. There's plenty to talk about, of course, and along for the ride with me, heads out of the window, hair blowing in the wind, are two of my Sanctum sisters. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Well, it's a very hot wind, isn't it, Rana? <laughs> it's Kate here. Very, very warm and very, very over the hot weather in Melbourne. And burning down Thunder Road, it is Lucy Race. <laughs> oh, just pictured you with a perm then when you said that. <laughs> I did have one. Loved oh. the spiral perm. Oh, I love now it. I straighten my hair. What, what's with that? I reckon you would have crimped your hair too, Lucy, back in the day. Mm, that crimper? was much more an Emma race kind oh. of thing. Oh, Emma, okay. And Emma still has her crimper. Oh, my it has been does. used recently. What? Yes. <laughs> get pictures of that. Before we get stuck in, I just wanted to say we're recording this on the 26th of Jan and I kind of wanted to take a moment to say to any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who are listening to us that we just want to offer our support and thoughts to all of you, to your friends and family and, of course, big love to our sister Shelley Ware. And it's not just the 26th of Jan. The whole lead-up can be a particularly draining time and I know Many people experience racism at worst and cultural loading at best. We just wanted to say we hope everyone's able to be with community or loved ones or just doing whatever is soothing and healing today and just acknowledge that today's not a day for celebration. There's so much to get through this week and it was a stinky, hot, sweaty one. (laughs) Did you pack your deodorant this week? (laughs) Totally. Totally. I mean, you have to, you've got to pack the deodorant, you've got to pack the cold face washer, some ice, esky, everything just to function in Melbourne. You know, listening to you all on last week's podcast where you were talking about how difficult it is just to function in general at the moment because we're two years into COVID and everybody's really tired. A lot of people have been sick, had family members who have been sick or who are isolating, etc. It's just so difficult to sort of function in general at the moment. And then you lay this heat that we've had here in Melbourne and in other parts of the country. On top of that, it's been relentless. Uh, And I'm in awe of the women who are out there playing footy. It's amazing. 
I seriously do not know how they do it. Full disclosure, summer is not my friend. I am not a, I do not like heat. The thing that really gets me, and I made myself giggle last week when I was watching because I was thinking if I was playing in these conditions, absolute like just baseline, I would need to wear sunglasses. <laughs> and <laughs> once you picture a whole lot of players out there wearing sunglasses, it's pretty funny. It's like, <laughs> but you know, I would need a hat. I'd need sunglasses. I'd probably need some kind of ice pack around my neck. I don't know how they totally. do it. They're bulk ordering deodorant, surely. Like <laughs> that is, that's got to be part of the um, soft cap. <laughs> Absolutely. And look, it's funny. We'd been having some conversations about heat policy because we haven't really heard them talk about heat policy much this season. I reached out to the AFL just to ask about the heat policy and apparently the whole season is under the heat policy this year. So in the past, we've had it enacted when the temperatures got over a certain degree. But because of the timing of this season, the whole of the season is sitting under the heat policy. So there's no restriction on on rotations or water breaks and how many people, you know, there's the same number of people carrying water and all of those things. So that put my mind at ease somewhat. But I, I don't know how they do it. And shout out to the fans who still managed to get out there. It was way too hot for me. I sort of self-combust as long, once it gets over about 27 degrees. <laughs> Heat aside, I want to get into some highlights. It was a strange old round of footy that only finished last night on Tuesday night. Uh, I'm getting flashbacks to Festival of Footy from OG lockdown in 2020 and AFLW, feel, it feels like they're bending time at the moment. The days are blurring into one. I'm so confused about what day it is, what round it is. You know when you we say to new parents all the time that the days are long but the years are short? I feel like <laughs> in AFLW, LW, it's the same. The rounds are so long, but the season's so, so short. What was your highlight, Lucy? Um, look, my highlight was, I've got to say it, the Brisbane Lions. They hadn't mm. played for 16 days and they just came back after that break looking so sharp and skillful. They're back into the top six, even though they're one game behind um, a lot of other teams. Like everybody else, I was just so taken with the young debutante Zimmy Farquharson, who was already, I guess, noticeable because she was sporting the long-sleeved Guernsey. <laughs> and how much do we just love a long-sleeved jumper? Not that I would play in one in this heat, but she just announced herself as a talent to watch. And I think she's come from the Lions Academy. People that have seen her play in those under-18s championships have been waiting for her to have her time on the big stage. And she didn't disappoint. Her first touch was a goal goal assist. I think she finished with 12 disposals, five marks, and then capped it all off with a goal. And the thing I just loved about watching her play was she looked so composed. She was skillful and she just had that great work rate. And I think that that was something that I noticed across the lines. Their work rate's incredible. Just their defensive work, even in, you know, their forward 50s is fantastic. And welcome back Lions and welcome Zimmy. <laughs> Her confidence on debut was incredible. I'd love to just walk into a new gig like that, just guns blazing. Yeah, it was like she came out wearing like a metaphorical pair of sunglasses and was just like <laughs> cool as a cucumber. It was amazing. She was so good to watch. Well, she, you know, even to, to finish it all off, she did the post-match interview and she looked 
entirely comfortable and can't ask for better than that. Uh, Kate, I have a question. You're a Queenslander by birth. Are you a Melbourneian now? Do you, how do you identify, Kate? Oh, <laughs> totally. Totally as a Melbourneian. But I do have a soft spot for, not for teams from Brisbane, actually, <laughs> um, but from the Gold Coast. I do. I love I love watching the Gold Coast Suns play in both the men's and the women's competitions. And I'm always really happy to see people who come from that part of the world do well, actually. Zimmy's from Dolby, is that right? Yeah. Is that rural? I should have done my research. Give me a quick geographical lesson, Kate. Yeah, it's... A couple hundred kilometres west of Brisbane, I think, but she went to school in Toowoomba, which is a regional town, a pretty well-resourced regional town, I must say. They had, you know, when I grew up, I went and played sort of regional sporting carnivals in Toowoomba and things. There's a lot of regional sports carnivals that go through Toowoomba, a lot of sport played in and around Toowoomba. So, um, yeah, it's a good place to grow up, I think, if you're into, into your sport. I don't know why it just made me love her more that she's a... She's a regional country <laughs> girl. That's just my city bias talking. Kate, what was your highlight? As I said at the, the outset, when I listened to you all on the pod last week and you were talking about how just challenging life is generally at the moment, let alone to put on an AFLW season, you know, it got me really thinking about how much effort and energy all of the players and officials and umpires and everyone associated with the AFL is putting in to try and keep this competition going. And in that context, I thought the performance of Fremantle in particular was Mm. incredible. As we know, last Thursday, the West Australian Premier Mark McGowan made an announcement that the border, which was due to reopen on the 5th of February, now won't reopen as Mm. planned. And that's created so much disruption and uncertainty for people all across the country. I'm sure we all have friends and family who have loved ones back in WA and are keen to get back there. And it's just such an uncertain time for everybody, but particularly for people who come from WA. And I just thought it was incredible to see the Frio women perform under those conditions, that sort of added pressure, if you like. Uh, So they took on Richmond in what was a pretty even contest for much of the game. And then in the last quarter, Fremantle just absolutely exploded. Uh, There were a couple of other games that went that way too and Lucy and Rana, your Ds were uh, equally impressive in just sort of putting the foot down in the last quarter. So Frio triumphed in the end, 77 to 47. Kiara Bowers was an absolute standout once again. I mean, it sort of almost doesn't bear repeating, but she had 28 disposals and 16 tackles. And it's worth mentioning that in the three games that have been played so far, well, that Frio have been managed to play three games, she's uh, laid 14 12 and 16 tackles so she's just absolutely so good done and so good to watch and I just thought the mental strength and resilience that it took from for Frio to play in those conditions was super impressive and they're a gee they're a good team oh I really loved Ebony Antonio's beautiful goal in that second quarter of that Richmond game it actually took my breath away. I just I, I love it when tall players kick a goal. I don't know why. There was another great attempt at goal from a ruck. I can't remember now which game, but I just love it when they do snap a goal like that. That was my highlight for this round. Anything else? Can I just say uh, there was a beautiful series of photos that Michael Wilson posted of Daisy Pierce at the end of the game, and it was her kids running out onto to the ground and. At that time, when I saw that picture, it really hit me and I felt quite emotional about it because what I love is this different illustration of motherhood and of of mothers out there playing football. We saw that Shani Webb returned to the Lions 
after having her baby last year and she joins people like Kate Darby and Jess Duffin and Daisy who've come back after having babies and I just think there's something really powerful about seeing women returning and playing elite sport after after having a baby. Can I just acknowledge one other landmark or achievement that happened this weekend in a very different vein? I have to mention my Adelaide Crows if I can. Um, I just wanted to give a shout out to Ebony Marinoff and Stevie Lee Thompson. You might have seen on the weekend that obviously Adelaide won, but in so doing, they became the first AFLW players to notch 30 wins um, across the first few seasons. So that's a really incredible achievement um, to both of them and, and well done. Well done indeed. All right. There's a lot to get into so have you packed your grace tame side eyes and are you both ready to melee ah yes indeed (laughs) if I'm honest my other highlight really from the round was that it was pride round and all the beautiful jumpers and I just love how much conversation pride round does stir up which to me is the point of a themed round I think it gets people talking and I'm always vocal about is it enough do we need to do more and we did discuss last week on the episode what was to come for pride round but since then so much has actually happened we've seen Michael Pryor from the West Coast Eagles the head coach of the West Coast Eagles making the comment that he felt the conversation about Pride Round had been done to death. We also had some correspondence about the round. So I thought I'd open it up again with both of you. Our Nicole Hayes also wrote a piece in The Guardian on Monday about the need for more in-depth consideration when it comes to Pride Round and other rounds. And the crux of her article really was that there is more work to be done. And we all acknowledge that there is more work. So what does that look like, Kate? It takes on many forms, you know, and many of them are issues that arise outside sport that impact on sport. We still need a lot of structural change, whether that be programs in school to educate young people on same-sex relationships and sexual and gender diversity uh, in the workplace, same kind of thing, policies that are more inclusive, uh, law reform that prevents discrimination and prejudice. And, you know, you, you might feel that some of those things have been already done or, or, you know, even done to death, but it's not the case. I mean, we're having a debate in this country at the moment about a proposed religious discrimination bill at the Commonwealth level, which would, if introduced, have the effect of allowing for further discrimination against people who are in same-sex relationships, among other things, and also women and others whose views and activities and practices might be different from your own. So, There is still a lot of work to be done in that respect, that's for sure. I work at the Australian Research Centre in Sex, Health and Society at La Trobe University and my colleagues do a lot of work on these issues, a lot of research on the experiences of LGBTIQ plus communities. In a study that some of my colleagues released last year, a study that's called Private Lives, they found that three quarters of trans and gender diverse participants that had been involved in this study felt that they had been treated unfairly because of their gender identity in the previous 12 months. And the same report details a number of other really disturbing findings about people experiencing sexual assault, being physically attacked, verbally abused, spat on 
on socially excluded, harassed and so on because of their sexual orientation or gender. So all of that tells us there's a lot more work to be done. One of the things that we did was reach out to Ryan Storr, who is with Proud to Play. That's the organisation that promotes diversity and inclusion in sport. And we asked Ryan, do these Pride rounds, Pride events still matter? Are they still needed? And uh, Ryan was kind enough to share a statement with us on behalf of Proud to Play, which I'll just read to you. So Ryan says, Pride continues to be important in bringing about systemic change across the sports sector in helping create a more inclusive and safe environment for LGBTIQ plus people. A lack of understanding around why we still need Pride shows a lack of education and awareness within some sporting codes. Although there have been some recent developments for lesbian athletes in AFLW, there is a long way to go for trans and gender diverse athletes and a commitment to addressing transphobia in particular. So, you know, for all of those reasons, it's very clear that pride still matters and is still important, but we need to couple it with really major structural change. And I think that's the level at which the debate needs to keep happening. The thing that really struck me during Pride Round is that you can have a whole lot of good stuff sitting alongside a whole lot of really uncomfortable and stuff that, you know, just shows that we're not quite there yet. And yes, there were lots of people who were celebrating and that was wonderful. And we we don't lose sight of that. That's really important because change just happens on a continuum. So you don't just all of a sudden wake up one day and you're there. But it's important to acknowledge that, you know, say Michael Pryor's comments it is actually quite harmful and yeah it is detrimental to fans and and potentially to to players and staff as well the thing that really struck me with that is how in saying i'm just here to talk about football it demonstrates i think a lack of understanding about how you can't separate who people are from what they do in in work mm. and so to try and just compartmentalized sport I I really feel like we've made so many leaps and bounds we've made so many changes so many coaches particularly speak with so much more understanding of how important it is to acknowledge the whole person that you're coaching and and that was the thing that struck me with with Michael that he he seemed to have missed that that I find concerning but the other thing I really noticed was comments from trans gender people saying that they still don't feel that they're welcome necessarily either in the stands or particularly on the field and in terms of elite sport and welcoming trans athletes into elite sport we still have such a long way to go it's really upsetting to see comments on the big global stage like those from Michael Phelps over the last week or so this whole discussion about fairness that happens around trans athletes is something that really we need to unpack because that does filter down to community ideas and community opinions and that does have a detrimental effect to people that you know. Totally. You hit the nail on the head for me just then Lucy because I find with these themed rounds and I'm aware that none of us identify from these communities But in general, when we talk about themed rounds, and and it's usually me that's popping up either in our chat group or on Twitter, expressing frustration about that these rounds sometimes show up the disparity 
as much as they do feel inclusive as well. And so for me, it is that just that tension of holding both of those truths together. And that's why there's always a discomfort for me often around, you know, where are the women of color? I feel like you guys are probably sick of me saying that, but every time we have these conversations, whether it's International Women's Day or or even Pride Round, I think where are the people of color in this conversation? And similarly, I think people of various intersections and identities have that thought every time we do come out being celebratory. And I I wonder all the time, there's probably no real answer to this, but how do we do both things? And is there a time when we have a hard conversation and is it okay to just celebrate or do we need to always hold both of those truths together? I think that it's getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, honestly. We don't like it. Like it's not fun to to sit in that place of discomfort, but it's from there that change happens. I'll hark back to the Grace Tame mention at the start of, of the podcast, but comfort and ideas of manners or civility or not mentioning things that make people uncomfortable is what allows the status quo to continue. In a lot of these conversations, what we're trying to do is change the status quo. The foundations that you've kind of sat on for a majority of people have to be shaken and that's okay and we have to be okay with that. 
tell those fans that they couldn't wear those t-shirts into the ground because they constituted a political statement. It's worth saying that, you know, since that happened a couple of days later, Tennis Australia has reversed its position. But really what it has done for me is highlight something that we haven't talked too much about on this podcast, and that is the right of fans to make political statements. We talk a lot about athletes using their platforms to promote human rights or to make political statements or to engage in political debate and how that is received and seen. But we haven't talked much about what happens when fans want to make political statements and how sporting organisations respond to that. And I know that there are a number of national sporting organisations that ban fans from making political statements, from taking political banners to sporting events and that kind of thing. I am someone that subscribes to the view that, as as you'll both know, that everything is political, including the decision to neutralise political statements. So if you tell fans that they can't come to an event wearing a T-shirt that says, where is Peng Shui? Or, you know, uh, if you were wearing a T-shirt that said, free the refugees, or the T-shirt that I can see you're wearing today, Rana, as we record, in support of Aboriginal rights, Uh, If you were to tell fans that they can't wear T-shirts like that or carry banners or flags at events, then that is a political statement because you're neutralising free speech on important political issues. One of the things that I find so bizarre about the entire Tennis Australia situation with Peng Shui is that there are so many political statements that take place at sporting events, in my view, all the time that are often seen not as political at all or that people would never even considered to be political and one of those in my view is the waving of a national flag Mm. um you know that is Mm. a political statement in the sense that it is a celebration of the nation it's sort of a reinforcement of nationalism if you have a flag that like the australian flag you know has the symbol of uh, a nation that colonized us that there's something something political in there even if you don't acknowledge it or realize it or know it I think very arbitrary lines are drawn by sporting organisations at times between what they think is political and everything else. And that inconsistency or that hypocrisy that lies at the heart of the way that fans have been treated this week and are sometimes treated by sporting organisations is hugely problematic and worth a much larger conversation about about fandom. And, you know, if we think about uh, the fact that we've just come off the back of a pride round, there are a lot of people at those games, quite rightly, waving trans flags or pride flags and so on. That's a political statement in my view and one that we should celebrate and welcome and that's okay but then some other statements aren't. And for me the question is always, you know, what, what's the rationale for sporting organisations when they draw these lines? They're often not articulated very clearly. Fans don't always know what they are. And to see in Peng Shui's case a decision, albeit reversed uh, after a few days, but a decision to really try and suppress a comment about a woman who many people still feel concerned about her safety, a comment essentially about potential or alleged violence against a woman is just, to me, hugely disturbing, shocking, really, that Tennis Australia would have taken that approach and I'm glad they reversed the decision. I've got your words ringing in my ear from your chat with Tess about Djokovic, Kate, and I've got a question for you about the rights of fans to wear slogans or to make political statements. How would you feel if fans were making statements that you don't agree with? So, you know, say, you know, do, do you still say that it's okay for a fan to go and sit 
in a stand with an anti-vax message on a t-shirt? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and you know, I like last week when Tess and I were talking about this, I think I said as much that I don't really know where you draw the line. It's still something that I'm working through in my own mind. But for me, the kind of key point is that the reality is that there are already political statements mm. being made in sporting contexts all the time. And I do think the waving of national flags is an example of that. It's for me the singling out by national sporting organisations of some statements and saying, oh, these ones are political and we don't like them without any real explanation or rationale given to fans that is troubling. The failure to recognise that the singling out of the T-shirt and the ban on the T-shirt, which seeks to neutralise a political statement about a woman whose safety is in question, is itself a political statement. And it's the lack of explanation clear rationale, debate, discussion, transparency that I find most problematic and I I think I start there and I don't have an answer to your question beyond that, Lucy, other than that, you know, this for me raised a really important question about where we draw the line with with fans Mm -hmm. and what fans can say when they, what what we can wear when we go to a game. The thing that gets me about the Peng Shui T-shirts is that this is an athlete, like this is directly linked to tennis it makes so much sense to me that people would use a tennis tournament to assert that view or to bring attention to that issue. It's so weird to me that that would actually then be banned. You know, I get the politics capital P of it all, but it still seems so strange to me that there's actually not a big leap to make there mentally, but I'm glad to see it reversed the decision anyway. I did want to mention something when it comes to politics and sport as well. There's a lot going on in France at the moment and people might not be aware that France is having a real moment when it comes to Islamophobia and their 5.4 million Muslims that live in France. The politics of the day seems to be going towards limiting expressions of spirituality and religiousness, particularly when it comes to Muslims. And this is now turned up in sport too. And last week, France voted in favour of banning hijabs, not just from one sport, but from every sport that's played, every sporting competition, whether it's recreational or high-level participation. The law could be ratified Uh, as early as January 31st by vote. This has been put forward by a particularly right-wing segment of the political parties in France. And of course, for me, on a very deeply personal level, this is really distressing. It's basically saying that Muslim women who wear hijabs can't play sport and if they want to, they need to take it off. And I just don't know in what world that is freedom. The point that these people are putting forward is that on the sporting field any symbols that differentiate people should be neutralized and so a woman wearing a hijab is making herself very different to everybody else and I don't know Kate like I I cannot even just follow that argument what do you think when you sent us this article earlier runner I must admit I was not aware that this had been unfolding in France and I was speechless actually it's beyond my comprehension as well what's interesting about this and it links back to the discussion that we were just having that people who support the law claim that it's necessary in the interest of religious neutrality this word Mm. neutrality is extraordinary to me because again what it fails to acknowledge is that 
in attempting to correct women's dress, to force these women to dress in a particular way, and by asserting that this is somehow neutral, it's in fact, of course, a political step and a form of prejudice, a human rights violation, because under international human rights law, people have the right to express cultural beliefs and to engage in cultural practices and religious beliefs and practices and also it is under international law everybody has the right to participate in sport and leisure and as you rightly point out Rana this will discourage many uh, Muslim women in France from participating in sport if not just simply prevent them outright. It's absolutely appalling, shocking development. I hope that it won't get through. I know that Emmanuel Macron, the president of France, is opposed to it, but um, may not have the numbers to resist uh, the law going through. And I just hope that people in France who have the power to make uh, decision about this see some sense. There's a real thread running through our conversations, isn't there, about who decides what's the neutral position? Who decides mm. what the dominant paradigm that we all have to adhere to is. And I can't even imagine what it must be like to be in France at the moment. Send you my love as well, Rana, because this is, you know, deeply personal. Oh, it was really triggering. If you want to hear or read more, I would head to Muslim Women in Sport. It's a Twitter account. They're also on Instagram. It's at Muslim W in Sport. And they're sort of asking for us to find our inner activists and they've got some steps to take action one of which is to record a little video and use a hashtag to get this issue out there if you if it's of interest to you um, please do head there I think the thing for me that's interesting is we live in a word world where we will rightly fight for women's right to not have to wear a hijab in countries where some women are forced to yet we won't turn up for women who are being forced to take it off. And that's the case in France at the moment. But yes, deeply personal. And I hope we all kind of can do something or keep it in mind in future. I'm going to pivot a little bit and talk about fixtures now. (laughs) Pivot is the word that sits alongside fixtures, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. To me, we all knew this season was going to be fixture change heavy yet every time they announce a fixture change I still freak out and go oh my god what's happening in the world there's a fixture change why does it still shock me well maybe you're just you know you're still catching up Rana but you're right (laughs) so we we we're actually recording a little bit later because we wanted to see the last game of round three before we did the podcast the next game so the opening game of round four will actually begin tomorrow. So that has been brought forward to Thursday. So I had a quick chat with the AFL just to ask, you know, what the overriding principles are in terms of of the fixture. So as they said at the start of the season, their priority is to get the season done and to crown a premier, but to also look after the health and safety of players, officials, staff, and also fans as as we do this. So they're going to be some condensing, basically try to catch up some of those games and 
all I can say to fans is keep an eye on the fixtures because they're changing constantly. The aim is to still try and get the grand final to to happen around that first week of April. There is a little bit of flexibility if if that needs to move, but I think the AFL just really want to to try and get the season done within that time frame. The other thing that is a really complicating factor, as we mentioned at the top of the show, is the change to the border arrangements for WA, and that does affect the Eagles and Fremantle. The AFL is working really closely with those clubs, with the AFLPA, and also with the state government, the health departments, just to to manage that situation. So keep an eye on it. But um, I don't know whether you saw this week that Adele had to postpone some of her shows, and she posted on Instagram. She was so upset about it, but. COVID had really gotten the way of their rehearsals. It meant that they didn't have certain equipment, people couldn't get together. And when she recorded that, just so I just felt for her like the emotion you can see what it is when you're somebody who you know this is what you do and you're at the top of your game and you're trying to deliver for your fans and there's like just imagine the amount of money and logistics that goes into an Adele concert but there was this beautiful response by Glennon Doyle who posted her message to Adele where she was just basically saying you know we don't need to kill ourselves here we we are operating in circumstances that are incredibly difficult and to try and continue on like everything's normal is maybe not always the wisest thing to do so I I do have Glennon Doyle's words ringing in my ears I've got Glennon Doyle's words right in front of me I'm smiling so big because her post resonated with me so much can I read it I'm gonna do my best Glennon Doyle (laughs) COVID is killing us mentally because no one is showing us how to adjust our expectations of ourselves and others. We are killing ourselves trying to make things work like they worked in the old world and we can't do it. We cannot make things work, but it feels like we aren't allowed to say that because no one is brave enough to say, no, this cannot be done right now enough. But you did, and it is going to free people. I swear to God, you are a beautiful leader, even when you don't know you are leading. Go easy on you. And of course, she's talking to Adele there. But I feel like that's a message for the sporting industry right now. We are all killing ourselves to make these competitions go ahead and make sure it all goes smoothly. And to and and of course, I understand why, and I love it as a sports fan. But there is a part of me that's thinking, what are we doing this for? <laughs> Maybe we just need to accept that less is okay. I think it's just, you know, we need to accept that it's it's not going to be perfect. And I'm really interested to see how the Bulldogs get back on the, the field. They've missed two weeks from they've had a number of players that have been affected by COVID. I heard Bonnie Too Good speaking on the AFLW show about the fact that she'd been really quite sick with COVID and it had definitely taken its toll and it made me wonder what's it going to be like not just to come back and play but then they're playing two games in five days because of that catch-up. So we talked last week about an asterisk on this season and that asterisk for me is all about kindness and just do your best. I keep thinking about the fact that in 2020 we had that really disappointing situation where we didn't get an AFLW premiere and I know you know the fan base was really upset and so many of the players were really upset and I imagine that all of those who are competing in the AFLW at the moment really feel that pressure and that sense of expectation to complete the season 
you know, both for the fans and for themselves. I, I know that they would want the season to run its course and for there to be a premiere, but gee, that must add so much extra pressure and stress and strain. And as Adele and Glennon Doyle remind us, you know, <laughs> maybe it's 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 okay if things don't things don't work out, but that it will be okay. Friend of the pod. Yeah. <laughs> like I really wish I was friends with the Dal. If you're listening, pod. call me. Uh, okay, it wouldn't be a malay if we didn't talk about Dagoe. Not really. I actually don't really want to talk about Dagoe, Jordan Dagoe, but he is in the news again. Oh boy. We will clearly, as a sporting industry, want to talk about him. Lucy, you noticed something in the way we are talking about it. You know, we still haven't found a way, particularly in the way that sports journalists cover the story around Jordan Dugowie, we still haven't found a way to really acknowledge the whole story. I noticed in an article by Matt Turner in the Herald Sun where he was covering Dugowie's return to training, just a whole lot of um, statements like Dugowie's nightmare in New York and that he's out of the doghouse and that he was setting the track alight, you know, back at training and that that would be a welcome sight for Collingwood faithful. And I really miss the lack of honesty about what's kind of happened and and why he's back. I feel like it's kind of speaking in euphemisms. And honestly, I think that uncritical platforming and praise is harmful and it's harmful not just to victims and survivors, but it's also harmful to the way the community's attitudes are formed around these stories. Now, there's a whole lot of other conversations that we can have about who gets second chances, who gets second and third chances, and how do we also allow for the fact that people need to be able to grow and learn and we have to believe in the possibility of redemption for people. But I don't think that we're there yet with with the way that we speak about particular players, Kate. Well, it's not just confined, Lucy, to that one article that you mentioned as well. If you Google Dugowie, you'll see, you'll find it difficult to find a report that doesn't use some kind of problematic language to describe his situation. I saw some other articles, one which described him as having had a run-in with the law, you know, again, is very sort of passive language as if, as if somehow, you know, he's not sort of responsible for the situation that he got himself into. His promising career is hanging in the balance. One former player, talked about what he had been through. Again, this sort of passive language that implies that Dugowie doesn't have agency. He sort of somehow went through this and ran in, had a run in with the law. Worst of all, a past player described him as a good player and person and said he attracts a type of trouble. It's this kind of messaging that's so problematic. And I know it's really delicate and difficult to report on allegations when they're still pending or have not yet been resolved. I totally understand that. But what I think tends to happen repeatedly, uh, and this is, you know, this has been the case for a really long period of time, it's not just a problem confined to sport, is that men who are facing allegations or now in Dugowie's case who have pled guilty to allegations of sexual harassment or assault or, or violence of other kinds are routinely portrayed as lacking any agency, as being good blokes and so on. I'm like, Dugowie might be a good bloke, but is this the time to emphasise that? Is it an essential message right now when uh, this is going on? You know, I think by and large people who report on these issues get it wrong 
There are guidelines put out by our watch. We've talked about them on this program before that set out kind of best practice when it comes to reporting on violence against women and others. And I think those who are engaged in sport really need to do a lot better at engaging with those guidelines, learning from past mistakes and and doing better into the future. I'm Melissa Hickey and you're listening to The Outer Sanctum. All right, well, I think that's about it for us today. Is there any final business? Yeah, can I start a new segment called the Outer Sanctum Mailbag? (laughs) I'm in the driver's seat and I say yes, approved. (laughs) I just want to say thank you to listeners who get in touch with us. You do it on our socials, but also we get lots of lovely emails and we had a couple of emails over the last week or so, which I just wanted to say thank you for. Hello to Nicholas, who is listening from Sweden. He is watching us from a very snowy winter and he weighed in on our discussion about the best timing for the season, which I thought was really interesting. He suggested that October to April would be the right way to do it with a break in December and January. And he mentioned that the soccer leagues do that in Sweden because summer holidays are sacrosanct. Mm-hmm. I like summer holidays being sacrosanct. Same. So hi, Nicholas. Hope you're warm. And hello also to Tiger fan Pete, who has emailed us a few times. He had some really great questions regarding the timing of the competition and the transition that we've you know been talking about, wanting to see that transition to full-time professionalism in the AFLW. And I think what we might do is try to get to some of those questions in future episodes because they're really good. So thanks for getting in touch. You can get in touch with us via our email, which you'll find on our website or any of our socials. My only other final business is that we want to just send all of our love to our dear, dear friend, Nicole. She's going through a rough time at the moment and we are thinking of her. Katie, any final business? Yes, I've got a comment. And a question. So the comment is, first of all, congratulations to Dylan Alcott, who yesterday was named as Australian of the Year. Can't wait to see what he does over the next 12 months advocating for people with disability. He's, you know, such a prominent voice and such a powerful voice in that space. And I was really pleased to see him um, acknowledged. My question, Lucy, is for you. Uh, So last week I tuned into the pod and you said, and I quote, How many non-fungible tokens are there in one cryptocurrency? (laughs) Tune in next week to find out. And I've been sitting here for like an hour while we've been (laughs) recording, waiting for the answer because I I don't know what any of those words mean. Are you going to, are we going to find out? It's like, because it's like, it's like a teaser that's dropped in the season finale Mm. of Succession or something and you wait for the next episode and that's what I've been doing. The problem is, Kate, that I said something else that I don't think you picked up on where I said we will be dealing with that next week on the episode when none of us will be on it. I know you did. <laughs> and and <you> because <laughs> I'm here, that negates that promise. So I'm sorry, but you'll just need to wait till there's a totally new team. Oh, you'd be a good lawyer, Lucy. You found a little loophole. <laughs> I'm just pivoting here on my desk chair. <laughs> I was so bummed I missed out on that non-fungible chat because fungible is now my favourite <laughs> word. It's just it can be used in any context. Who I puts the it. fun in the fungible? <laughs> we do. We do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think on that note, on that very fungible note, we there's only one thing left to say for us, and that is go, go footy.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 